Homer, it's very easy to criticize. Fun, too. Good morning. Good Monday morning. And welcome to Episode 9 of Effectively Wild, the Daily Baseball Prospectus Podcast. In Vancouver, Canada, I am Ben Lindbergh. And in Long Beach, California, in the same time zone as I am for once, it is Sam Miller joining me this morning. Hello, Sam. Hi, Ben. How are you? I am well. You survived without me. You you flourished without me, even, I would say. You survived without me. I mean, you didn't make a podcast, but you're still alive. Yeah, and I thank Ian Miller for doing a great job of filling in um, after I was unable to perform. Um <laughs> And it was close, and, and we had a, a really uh, poignant interaction um, on Thursday night where I was in the remote Canadian wilderness, and, and I did have an internet connection, and I did get on Skype, and I walked out to the end of this long dock and called Sam, and we found that we could not conduct a conversation. We had a several-second delay uh, between our responses, and it was... Unworkable, so close, and so far. It was very nearly a great idea for a bit. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. Have you ever read the book Hatchet by Gary Paulson? No. Oh, it's. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's one of those late '80s Newbery Award-winning books that kids read and and develop a lifelong fear of flying. Yeah, um, maybe the best of those books. Yeah, it was good. That, either that or Island of the Blue Dolphin. <laughs> right. Um, so it's this book where this kid is on the way to visit his father in, in somewhere in northern Canada, and he gets on this little two-person prop plane. And I guess I'm spoiling it for, for all the people who haven't read it, but if they're listening now, they probably never will. Um, and, and the pilot is is an older guy who has a heart attack and the plane goes down and, and whoever the protagonist of Hatchet was has to survive in the Canadian wilderness by himself for, for some time. So I had I had some Hatchet flashbacks on that Did day you? because I was flying in a in a small prop plane with, with a pilot and no one else. And a hatchet? Did you bring a hatchet? I did not bring a hatchet. I was I was trying to locate the emergency beacon and everything that, that he finds after months when the plane washes up so I could be ahead of him, um, ahead of where he was in the book. But but everything went smoothly, and I'm now back in, in civilization, if you consider Vancouver to be civilization, which I do, um, and I'm ready to record. So what is your topic for today? Uh, my topic is going to be Matt Moore against Mike Trout. All right, and my topic is the NL West. Why don't you start? Okay, um, so the NL West is a division where generally I have no idea what is going on or what will be going on. Um, my predictions for the NL West are, are always wrong. So I thought we could do some predictions for the NL West. Um, this weekend, the Dodgers swept the Giants. Uh, Hanley Ramirez, since the trade, is, is hitting very well. Um Clayton Kershaw continued to pitch very well, as he always does. And now, uh, with a couple months to go, the two teams are tied at the top of the division. Arizona is, I think, four and a half games back, and according to our adjusted standings, has actually been the best team in the division. Um, so, who you got? 
Well, I don't know that our adjusted standings have really had time to uh, absorb the effect that Marco Scudero is going to have <laughs> on that race. I think, uh, I mean, I still think that the Giants are the best team uh, in that division. Um, I've never really bought the Dodgers, and sometime uh, around late April, I suggested to somebody that the Padres would outperform the Dodgers from that point forward. And they haven't, but it's really close. I, I Last I checked, I think it was a one-game one difference since May 1st between the Padres and the Dodgers. So, obviously, they get to bank that 17-7 and seven starter or whatever they had. Um, but I'm not really convinced about that team. Um, the Diamondbacks, I didn't think were all that good last year, even as they were rolling to 94 wins. And I still don't particularly think they are. And the Giants aren't that great but they're a team that has won 80, I think 88 games or more three years in a row. They're on pace to do it again this year. And um, it wouldn't surprise me if they made a trade in the next couple of days and got even better. Man, you just really gave every NL Central team a rave review, or NL West team there. That was, don't hold back in your in your positive reviews. Of the- I raved about the Padres. <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually thinking of bringing up the Padres as a topic, just what they're doing or not doing at the deadline is sort of interesting, um, but I hadn't thought too much about how much they've actually played. Uh, I would have picked the Giants, I think, before the season, or I'd like to think that I would have. I could have gone back and checked to see if I did, but I didn't, um, because I did expect the Diamondbacks to, to fall back a bit, uh, like you, I, I thought they were maybe a little lucky last year and not quite as good as their record seemed to suggest they were. Um, but the giant, I mean, the Dodgers are looking a little more real maybe these days than, than they were for some time there. Uh, when Kemp was injured and Ether was injured and, uh, and now Hanley looks sort of like old Hanley in this extremely small sample spy, sample size. Um, and you're right, maybe it would have been better to bring this up in a couple of days when we know what these teams are definitely going to look like for the rest of the season because it seems possible that the Dodgers could do something else and maybe less possible that, that the Giants will, although they don't seem to have anything like the the budget room that the Dodgers have. Um, so if the Dodgers do succeed in, in adding a starter, which it seems that they've been trying to do um i still think their their first base hole is is the biggest hole the, the most gaping hole to bring back a an old podcast reference um in episode nine uh and it would be nice if they could do something to improve on on james loney there uh but their lineup looks a little more real than it has at times this year um, it looks like, yeah, you're right. It looks a lot more real. And, and I could be, uh, it's, it's possible that I've been swayed by those, uh, five or six weeks where like Bobby Abreu was the only guy I'd heard of mm-hmm. uh, in the lineup. And you're right. Now they have Kemp and Hanley Ramirez in the middle of the order. Um, Hanley Ramirez is not only a potentially exciting addition, but at another one of those spots that I think you had identified, in your piece about um, the the worst 
wor- the easiest upgrades for contenders, basically. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a huge upgrade over what they were getting. So you uh, probably would be right to chastise me for uh, having an overly simplistic look on the Dodgers based on May and June. Are you a believer in in the change of scenery trade as a as a thing? Uh, I don't know. I, I would say I'm probably more a believer in it long term than I am short term. I think that there's so much fluctuation from uh, over the course of a couple months that uh, any you know a- almost any performance from about uh, you know 400 OPS to about a 1400 OPS is possible. Mm-hmm. At this point, uh, change of scenery or not, and uh, I think that it could be the case that long term the change of scenery will have a pretty big or a decent effect on Hanley Ramirez, and that that will end up making the trade look better for the Dodgers. I probably just wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in that for the next two months. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's something to it in some cases, but I would suspect that more often than not, if if there is an improvement, it's the sort of improvement that you'd expect any underperforming player to make. Uh, so who you got? I was hoping you wouldn't ask. Uh, I, I I would probably go with the Giants, I think, um, just because of, of the pitching. But uh, I reserve the right to, to change my answer if the Dodgers of Wednesday look different from the Dodgers of Monday mm-hmm. uh, in some meaningful way. So... Shall we move on? We might as well. So Saturday night, Matt Moore and Mike Trout faced each other. I love when Matt Moore faces people. I do. I almost wrote about it, and then I wondered whether it would just be redundant. So now I'm just talking about it. Um, I I'm I, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think it's the first time they've ever faced each other. They play spring training in different parts of the country. They were never in the same league together in the minors they were never in the same league at all i don't think in fact and uh this is the first time they've met as big leaguers and so more faced trout three times he threw him 10 strike uh 10 pitches nine of them were strikes he struck him out he got a pop-up from him and he got a weak ground ball that the third baseman misplayed and trout reached via error um, but Moore won that battle, and it was kind of fun to watch because, you know, 16, 17, 18 years of this ahead. Um, and it was the first time in July that Mike Trout didn't reach base. Um, and it was also interesting. I mean, it was, I don't know, it was interesting for a few reasons. It was interesting because, of course, uh, none of the prospect lists reached a consensus preseason on which of those two, and as well as Bryce Harper, was the best prospect in baseball. There were, uh, Which was surprising to me. Just, I, I mean, it seemed, whether whatever you think of those players' ceilings, it seemed like the, the greater certainty of the position player, uh, to me, would have made those, those two guys rank well above, well above Moore, um, regardless of how, think, how, how good you think Moore was going to be. Uh, I would always take those two guys over the pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you were saying. I think that's a uh, that's a that's a very prudent position, and and I think after I mean it took about two or three months. Uh, it probably took quite a bit less than that, but three months into the season, 
I think everybody says, I guess we're four months into the season now, everybody would say that Trout and probably Harper are ahead of Moore. So um, it does not take long for, um, you know, for us to get more certain about these guys. And I think everybody now is more certain that Mike Trout is a better bet than Matt Moore going forward. Um, And probably the only argument left is Trout or Harper, which I think is still an open Mm-hmm. And maybe for a very long time. Um, was there anything interesting about the way Moore went after him, or uh, or how he approached him in the at bats? It was interesting to me um, because I've, so far as I can tell, uh, uh, different teams have actually had uh, very different approaches toward Trout. No, it's it really hasn't been the case that all the teams have settled on a way to pitch him. The most common way that teams pitch him has been uh, a lot of high and inside fastballs. And that, to some degree, is a remnant of last year when he came up and he was slow on big league fastballs. And um, he also has such a uh, kind of up-the-middle and to-right-field approach that um, teams were trying to jam him, keep him from doing that. And so that's probably the most common way, but... Um, like uh, the Royals really worked him low. The idea they had was com- was to, to throw him everything at the knees or below. And the Yankees threw him breaking balls inside and low. And Moore threw him um, mostly sliders. I think he threw him of the 10 pitches, probably five sliders, two changeups, and three fastballs. The first pitch he saw was a fastball down the middle, which is pretty typical too because uh trout's leading off the game and he usually takes that pitch and then after that he pretty much just threw him um a lot of sliders and different looks on the slider and uh i haven't really seen a pitcher throw uh such a high percentage of breaking balls to trout lately so that was interesting as well and and i don't really think about moore's slider as being his best pitch um either and uh but it was very effective yeah, I am still surprised at, at the number of fastballs Trout has seen. I wrote, I guess it was in, I don't know whether it was in May or, or around then, about how few fastballs Harper had seen and how many Trout had seen. And, and someone emailed me to follow up and rerun those numbers about a week ago. And they hadn't really changed uh, significantly at all. Um, Trout was, was definitely still among... The, the top five, maybe the top three in uh, percentage of fastballs seen, which was surprising, I thought, because if if that approach had been based on his struggles last year in his rookie season, um, you'd think half a season of, of playing like an MVP would, would have advanced scouts uh, changing their tune a little bit. Um, it doesn't seem that that's been the case in a dramatic way uh, around the league. I wonder if that will change for the rest of this season. You would, well, I don't, you would think I don't, so. I don't think they're throwing him fastballs because they're not afraid of him. Mm-hmm. I think that they're throwing him fastballs because they think that's the best way to get him out. Mm-hmm. And uh, he handles breaking balls really well. He handles changeups well. And he handles fastballs well, too. But um, it does seem to be the case that when he does look bad in an at-bat, it is more likely to be on a fastball. Uh, he, he can't, you can jam him a bit and, 
he uh, he he not only did he strike out um, against Moore, but in the seventh or eighth he faced uh, McGee and struck out on a fastball there as well. So um, it wasn't his best game. It was uh, that's actually a dumb way to phrase it. It was his worst game. <laughs> well, if pitchers are already taking the optimal approach against Mike Trout, and this is what Mike Trout is doing, that's not going to be fun for pitchers. No. No. Fun for us. Yes. Okay, so that's episode nine in the books. Um, I will be back tomorrow. We will both be back tomorrow, but I will be in New York again while Sam will still be in Long Beach. Um, So, episode 10 on Tuesday morning. Episode 9 is over. Thank you, Sam. Thank you.